Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The case of Kyle Rittenhouse will be drawn to a close soon, and by most accounts, the defense has the upper hand. But don't tell that to the left. For over a year now, the media condemned Rittenhouse, with some going as far as to call him a murderer or domestic terrorist, effectively convicting the 18-year-old before his case even went to trial. The response should tell you everything you need to know about the left's principles or lack thereof when it comes to justice. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line, I'm Buck Sexton. Kyle Rittenhouse's trial coming to a close soon. Could be a matter of days before we get a verdict here. And if you believe in self-defense, you would have to think that Kyle Rittenhouse has had a very effective story to tell based on the facts, which include substantial video footage. Kyle Rittenhouse did seem to clearly be defending himself against violent attackers, including a serial sexual abuser and rapist of children who assaulted him. The left is already putting up photos and posters of these individuals as though they are martyrs for attacking Rittenhouse. And before even this trial came out, the left-wing Democrat media was calling Rittenhouse, well, watch. Nosha shooter, Kyle Rittenhouse, he murdered two people, by the way. Rittenhouse is basically what you would have had in a school shooter. He's a 17-year-old kid. He shouldn't have had a gun. He crossed state lines to supposedly protect property. No, he was going out to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, the vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, the armed teenage vigilante. A 17-year-old vigilante, arguably a domestic terrorist, picked up a rifle, drove to a different state to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse, a guy who's deeply racist, went with weapons to a Black Lives Matter protest, looking to get in trouble. He did. He murdered a couple of people. Rittenhouse, uh, the 17-year-old kid, just running around, shooting and killing protesters. You see the 17-year-old who was radicalized by Trumpism, took his AR-15 to Kenosha and became a killer. I mean, how many lies can you put in it? Radicalized by Trump, a racist, a terrorist. None of that is true. None of that is true. And yet they say it and they don't expect there to be any consequences for their lies because they were telling their left-wing audience what they wanted to hear at the time, which was that Rittenhouse was an evil domestic terrorist, an insurrectionist even. But the trial as it's played out has showed us that's not true at all. Kyle Rittenhouse was not the aggressor. He was attacked. The facts are not in dispute over that. People were trying to harm him, including hitting him with a skateboard, mobbing him, 
waving a loaded handgun, an illegal handgun too, by the way, in his face, and he defended himself. But does that stop the left-wing narrative? Of course not. And it's not just idiot pundits out there saying things that are demonstrably untrue. Congressman Hakeem Jeffries yesterday, chairman of the House Democratic Caucus, tweeted this out, lock up Kyle Rittenhouse and throw away the key. Based on what exactly? Understand this, he never should have been, Kyle Rittenhouse should not have been charged at all. There should never have been a trial of Kyle Rittenhouse because the video evidence and the eyewitness testimony that law enforcement has had access to for a long time now proves in and of itself that this was a case of self-defense. You cannot try to attack somebody while they have a rifle and expect them not to use it to save themselves from being beaten to death or perhaps killed with their own firearm. It's very straightforward, actually. It's not, not, not a complicated case in those respects, but the politics around this, of course, oh, very complicated. Why? Because Kyle Rittenhouse stood up to the BLM mob. Kyle Rittenhouse decided that he was going to try to protect property and businesses and individuals from the social justice rioters in the streets of Kenosha, Wisconsin, because authorities were terrified of being called racist for standing up against this. And that's why they hate him so much. They don't actually even look at the specifics of the self-defense claims that he makes because they're so obviously correct. LeBron James, very good basketball player, very dumb political analyst, tweeted this out. What tears? I didn't see one. Man, knock it off. That boy ate some lemon heads before walking into court. And then lots of smiley face emojis. Yes, this young man who had to use lethal force to defend himself against two attackers and lethal force but didn't quite kill the third attacker a third time. Uh, he is traumatized by this, understandably so, and LeBron James thinks it's funny and it's, it's an, a job of him, or he's taking essentially an opportunity to be a faker, to fake all of this. So LeBron James isn't the only person um, really vicious and stupid enough to think that. Joy Behar, who really reaches new heights of idiocy on a regular basis on her television show, she also thinks that Kyle was an acting job up on the stand. From what I'm gleaning from this case, the guy goes across state lines with an AR-15 with his mother and some other idiot in the car to defend himself against what? They're having a protest in another state and he takes it upon himself to go there, you know? And then he says it's self-defense. No, and that, that acting job of the crying, I can't even look at it. I mean, really one of the dumbest people you'll ever see on television is Joy Behar, just, just so we're all very clear on this. Doesn't know anything about self-defense, doesn't know anything about guns, doesn't know anything about the law. But people will listen to her for reasons that are, well, still trying to be figured out, I suppose. Then there's CNN's Bakari Sellers, who says that somehow Rittenhouse was, uh, Rittenhouse's judge, rather, who has slapped down the prosecution for clear uh, violations of constitutional norms and really underhanded tactics in the courtroom. Now they're attacking the judge because he actually believes that Kyle Rittenhouse should get a fair trial. This is what they do at CNN. It appears that this judge is auditioning for the cameras and looking for his next gig on Fox News or, or OWN or whatever, OAN or whatever it is. I mean, this judge is going beyond the pale um, in, in trying to show off for the country his conservative credentials or whatever it may be, and he's shielding Cal Rittenhouse, treating him as if he's a child. No, he's trying to make sure that Cal Rittenhouse gets a fair trial. It turns out that anybody who's a real attorney, who actually knows the law, will tell you 
that a prosecutor, for example, bringing up the silence of a defendant after arrest, that is a violation, not only of the judge's order, but of the constitutional norms that you do not have to incriminate yourself. That doesn't mean that you are guilty because you will not speak to law enforcement after you're arrested and a prosecutor is not allowed to make that argument in front of a jury, but the prosecutor tried. Does the left care about due process or the criminal justice system at all? No, they view this all as a tool of politics and they want their side. They still root for BLM, that's right. The rioters, the looters, which included in this case, a serial rapist of small children, but the left still roots for that team. That's who they're with on this one. Here are some of the headlines from, uh, from Kyle Rittenhouse trying to defend himself early on. Uh, they removed his GoFundMe campaign. Uh, they blocked donations to a site raising money for him. And a Virginia police officer was actually fired for donating to Kyle's defense fund. So you're not allowed to have a real defense if you're Kyle Rittenhouse because the left is angry at you. The left is upset at you. Oh, justice, huh? That's what they say this is about. No, justice would have been Kyle Rittenhouse never being charged in the first place. Let's all pray that he gets acquitted as he well should, and that the evil left learns that they can't just pick out targets to destroy because of the narrative. All right, we'll have more on this with independent journalist Andy No in just a few moments. But I want to tell you about my friends at My Digital Money. The crypto market's heating up. A lot of people want to get in on the action for the first time. But how do you get started, right? There's Bitcoin, Ethereum, all these different digital tokens. Where do you go? That's where My Digital Money comes in. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with amazing customer service. It's one of the few U.S.-based crypto companies that will answer your phone call and help you get started. And because your comfort and security is their top priority, they offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins and the best customer service you'll get anywhere. Look, crypto is heating up again. This could be a great time to get into this exciting technology-based investment. Go check it out today at MyDigitalMoney.com. Again, that's MyDigitalMoney.com. And Andy Noe will be with us coming up. Kristen, it doesn't matter with whether people like this young man, hate this young man. Did he do enough to help himself? Was it a good move to, to testify? Honestly, the prosecution has a really challenging case. Um, in this case, I don't know that it was necessary for Kyle Rittenhouse to even take the stand um, because I thought that the case was weak. And I think that, you know, again, with the prosecutor's very heavy burden, they probably could have still ended up with an acquittal without Kyle Rittenhouse taking the stand. However, when he did take the stand, he was very rehearsed. He was very coached. He came off like a Boy Scout. Good to see there's at least some reasonably sane analysis in the media, although clearly they don't like Kyle Rittenhouse. At least they're willing to admit that he did a good job. That was MSNBC legal analyst Kristen Gibbons Fedden, a former prosecutor, acknowledging that Kyle Rittenhouse certainly did not come off as a cold-blooded uh, evil monster, which much of the left has made him out to be. Today's proceedings were far more subdued than yesterday's high courtroom drama. However, one interesting moment came when Kenosha police officer Brittany Bray delivered testimony that directly contradicted Gage Grosskreutz's claim that Kyle Rittenhouse re-racked his AR-15 before he decided to throw himself at Rittenhouse. Joining me now is independent journalist Andy No. You can follow and support his work at andy-no.com. That's N-G-O, andy-no.com. Andy, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you, Buck. Andy, 
You're someone who, while not a lawyer, a prosecutor, very familiar from your work in journalism with the BLM riots, with the uh, activists, including the criminal activists of the left. And so the backdrop to these shootings is something you know quite well. What have you seen? What, what stands out to you about the Rittenhouse trial, this self-defense trial, as it's been playing out so far? So even before um, Rittenhouse took uh, the stand in the courtroom, it was fascinating to me, although unsurprising, that uh, the press had continually um, trying to gaslight us into what what the context is in Kenosha at that time last year in August 2020. We're seeing over and over that the, the protests were described as racial justice protests and that it was somehow the shooting was an anomaly when uh, I've been trying to highlight, particularly through my social media, last year they had days of violent chaos in the city of Kenosha. You people, marauding gangs of people involving Antifa and other extremists and other opportunists going around, setting truck vehicles, properties on fires, people just walking around with bats and smashing up um, windows and lights and breaking into property at will. And there was no law enforcement that was truly um, chaotic and tr like an experiment in anarchy. It was in that context that you had the, these people who vigilantes or whatever you want to describe them coming in and trying to defend um, property from being uh, set on fire again. And that that is a context that's not being, in my view, accurate, accurately represented in a lot of the press coverage that's leading up to the trial and now ongoing. Annie, all three of the men shot by Rittenhouse, two fatally and one wounded, had criminal rap sheets. Joseph Rosenbaum was a convicted child rapist. Gage Grosskreutz had a prior gun offense. Anthony Huber was a repeat domestic violence abuser. How common is it for these Antifa left-wing types to have a pattern of criminality in their past? Um, more often than not, you'll see that they are, uh, have a history of crime. I think um, it's... It's helpful to understand the criminal history of some of these people who uh, were shot and killed by Rittenhouse because um, it demonstrates, and you could actually see in the video that, that was re recorded of the shootings, that these were people who were, uh, in my view, it looks like they were carrying out, um, trying to carry an assault or in the process of carrying an assault on the team. So I think the fact that they have Criminal histories relating to uh, violence and abuse and legal possession of weapons or unlawful possessions of weapons. I think that's all actually relevant for the trial. Andy, I wanted to switch topics a little bit here. We were talking about obviously Kenosha, where there were BLM riots, and then the Rittenhouse trial, which is still going on, which occurred during, or rather, the shooting that the trial is based on occurred during that period. But BLM is still a political movement, and here in New York City, a BLM co-founder essentially threatened the city of New York to New York City Mayor-elect Eric Adams. Here is uh, BLM leader Hank Newsom saying that fire, riots, and bloodshed will happen if Eric Adams tries to deal with crime. Let's watch this. 
If they think that they're going to go back to the old ways of policing, then we are going to take to the streets again. There will be riots, there will be fire, and there will be bloodshed. But there's no way that we're going to let some Gestapo come in here and harm our people. Right? We pray for peace, but black opportunities prepares for the worst. We have people in city council who can create problems for him. We have people in the streets who can create problems for this administration by shutting it down. Shutting it down. Riots, fire, and bloodshed. That's BLM leader Hawk Newsom in response to a mayor who's got a crime surge, would be soon to be mayor, who's got a crime surge to handle. Uh, Andy, I think a lot of people see this and say, what is BLM exactly supposed to do that's good for anybody? You know, I wish I could say I was surprised by this man's statements, which seems to promise bloodshed and violence in his own words. But we saw over and over left-wing activists, those who were um, put in front of televisions and seen as role models, promising violence, for example, if Trump had won the election in 2020, promising uh, violence if police weren't defunded, et cetera, et cetera. This is kind of the this is a go-to now. Uh, if they don't get their way, they promise violence, and um, quite often they actually carry out those acts of violence. I think um, what's telling is the silence from the establishment left. You know, this is a problem on their side, and it's a problem for them to address. The fact that they are silent, um, I think, speaks to their complacency and complicity, I should say, in um, this political radicalism. Andy, always appreciate your expertise. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. The effects of Joe Biden's disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan are still being felt as new reports show there are Americans still stranded in that Taliban-run country. We come back. Senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, Bill Roggio, joins us to give an update on the situation. First, let's talk about protecting your home, which is the most important asset you own. If you own a home like me, you don't guard with home title lock. You're inviting home title fraud, which is a fast-growing cyber crime. You see, cyber thieves around the world know that our home values are sky high these days, and that makes our equity a target. The crime is simple. The bad guys basically take the deed to your home online, and they change some things around. They start taking out loans against your home by pretending they own it. It's not hard to do, but home title lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect tampering, they help shut it down. You have equity in your home, guard it today. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim. Enter code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. That's code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. Code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. We'll be right back with more. Hold the line. On this Veterans Day, President Biden visited Arlington National Cemetery. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. to participate in a wreath-laying ceremony and give his remarks. The ceremony comes as new information emerges about those left behind in Afghanistan, the final victims of Biden's disastrous withdrawal. 
The New York Post reports that several dozen immediate family members, children, sisters, brothers, and parents of U.S. service personnel are still in Afghanistan, citing defense officials. U.S. military will play no role in the evacuations, leaving the State Department to run that operation and get people out of Afghanistan. It's been 79 days since the final plane left Afghanistan. Still, no one in the Biden administration has taken responsibility for the obvious and tremendous failure of the planning of that exit. Joining me now is Bill Roggio, senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies to discuss, and also a veteran. Bill, thank you for your service. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Buck. It's a pleasure. What should we know? What do we need to know right now about the status of the Americans who have been left behind in Afghanistan? Yeah, but as you noted, it's uh, 79 days. Um, the, the administration was saying at the beginning it's about 100, and then about 250 got out. And then you had a Defense Department official, Colin Call, tell us it might be 400. And then you've had leaked reports saying it could be thousands of Americans. And the fact is that almost 80 days, almost three months after the U.S. withdrawal, the uh, U.S. government, the Biden administration still doesn't know what is happening in Afghanistan. And, and that isn't surprising to me. They didn't understand the impact of the withdrawal. They never planned for it properly. They never planned um, to get the Americans out. Uh, you know, I, I hate to say this, but this administration has been so callous from day one on its treatment, on the announcement of the withdrawal, to how it treated the Afghan government after the Taliban won, to how the American citizens have been um, processed out of Afghanistan. That I, I just get the feeling that this administration doesn't care that Americans are trapped in Afghanistan. Here is Pentagon spokesman John uh, Kirby here when he was asked about how they can possibly not know how many Americans uh, are left behind in Afghanistan. Here's how that went. John, can you please update us on the, on the number of uh, immediate family members of U.S. service members in Afghanistan? Uh, update you in the number? Yeah. I don't have a whole number on that, no. Okay, so, I mean, the withdrawal ended on August 30th. And it's today is November uh, 10th. I mean, how is it possible that, that the department doesn't know how many immediate family members are still left? I didn't, say, in I didn't say we didn't know. I said I don't have a number for you. We believe it's uh, certainly uh, most likely in the dozens. So they know, they don't know. What do they know? Now, they, you know, they, they haven't known much since coming into office and, and crafting an Afghanistan strategy or lack of strategy, they, um, they, they've been dishonest to the Ameri with the American public from the, the date of announcement to, to leaving till today. Um, I don't think they really know. Um, I think they have an idea and that's it. But that, it's just a very, you know, I'm, I'm tired of U.S. officials standing up there and lying to the American public and no one holds them accountable. Even, even members of Congress and senators are upset about this. And this administration is getting away with it. Because this issue has been, and I knew this was going to happen, Buck, um, the press got tired of this story and has moved on to more, you know, exciting and, and more uh, stories that, you know, catch headlines. But this really is a story of failure from the beginning and to end. And if there was a president with an R next to his name and left the hundreds, if not thousands of Americans in Afghanistan, this would be the headline um, every day. And we'd be bombarded with with a President um, Trump who was uh, uncaring about American citizens trapped within, behind Taliban lines. Representative uh, McCall has written to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and Secretary of State Anthony Blinken asking them to get involved and expedite the process. 
Congressman McCall wrote, over the past month, I've been contacted by hundreds of Texans who are desperately trying to get friends and family members safe out of the country. That includes the family members of several Texans who currently serve in the military. The federal government has turned their backs on them. If we abandon the family members of our servicemen and women in Afghanistan, they will certainly be slaughtered by the Taliban. Do you think that the State Department has the means and perhaps more importantly, the urgency to get out these final Americans who were left behind in Afghanistan? If relied on diplomatic means, then no, the State Department has the, doesn't have the means. Remember, the State Department got outplayed both under the Trump administration and the Biden administration by the Taliban with that bad deal and then executing it and the promises. Um, but the US government does, the US military has the means. You know, to me, the real, aside from the tragedy of them being trapped behind the, the Taliban lines, American servicemen suffered, who served in Afghanistan, who served in Iraq. They've suffered a defeat in Afghanistan, and they have to live with that. And they paid a toll of losing brothers and sisters. They paid a physical toll for some being maimed or PTSD. And now they're paying the toll. Some of them are paying the toll of having their family members trapped behind um, Taliban lines inside Afghanistan. I mean, this to me, it just speaks of a, of a government and of a U.S. military that is uncaring. Has a single U.S. general resigned over this? This, you know, somebody needs to stand up. We've I've been talking about this with you over, since the summer, but someone needs to stand up and say, this is unacceptable. And instead, these generals, all they're concerned about is getting appointed to the next board so they can get their next paycheck. And Bill, while we're looking at the reality of Americans left behind in Afghanistan, I'm wondering what you can tell us about the status of Afghanistan in general right now. The Taliban is in charge. A lot of very bad, bad dudes are in senior roles in this new Taliban government. They are the government of that country now. What's going on there? And, and are we getting any warning signs that it could be more of a base for terrorism in the future? Or does it look like it's going to mind its own business and be a kind of a hellhole, but not the world's problem. What do you think? Well, right now it is a terrorist haven. Al-Qaeda is there. That's why the, when the, the discussions in Congress uh, from defense officials and they're saying Al-Qaeda might be 12 months to a year before Al-Qaeda could reconstitute attack. The question isn't could they, the question is, is do they want to? Um, they have the support of the Taliban. The deputy emir of the Taliban and their interior minister, a guy who could issue passports for the government of Afghanistan, was identified by the United Nations, his name is Siraj Ukhani, identified uh, by the United Nations as an al-Qaeda leader. What is the Taliban? What is al-Qaeda? What is Afghanistan? It's a state sponsor of terrorism. It is a terrorist state. The only question is, is do they want to jeopardize things now? by uh, allowing an attack to emanate from Afghan soil. As far as US visibility, it's down to practically zero. We have no allies on the ground. The Taliban controls the country completely. The Afghan people are terrified. And what Afghan in their right mind would cooperate with the, the US um, after the US abandoned their country, called their military cowards, and has just been uncaring throughout this entire process. Bill, we will continue to have an eye on it, and most notably, how we can get these Americans out. Thank you for being with us, and thank you again for your service. Good to see you. Thank you, Buck. It was a pleasure to serve, and thank you again. On this Veterans Day, it's important for us to honor those who served our country and ask ourselves how we can help serve them. Coming up, we'll talk to Evan Hafer, the founder and CEO of Black Rifle Coffee, about his efforts to assist America's veterans, as he is a veteran, um, and we'll talk to him about that in just a moment. But right now, I want to talk to you about my digital money. 
Crypto can have huge gains if you get it at the right time. You got to know what you're doing, though. Where do you get started? That's where my digital money comes in. Do you want to buy Ethereum? You want to buy Bitcoin? You got to have a place to do it. My Digital Money is an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform. It's one of the very few U.S.-based cryptocurrency companies that will answer your phone call and help you get started. Your comfort and security, those are their top priorities, okay? You need to call them. You need to check them out and see what they can do for you. When it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back, speak to you honestly, and treat you like a human, not a number. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's my, MyDigitalMoney.com. We'll be right back. Today on Veterans Day, we honor the brave men and women who served our country and protect our freedoms, some paying the ultimate cost. And our next guest started a company that does just that, not only today, but every day. Black Rifle Coffee is a veteran business that aims to give back to active duty troops, veterans, first responders, and the founder and CEO, Evan Hafer, joins us now. Evan, thanks for being with us. Buck, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's good to see you again. So you are a veteran. You employ a lot of veterans. Today's Veterans Day. What do you want to say to folks out there across the country as we're trying to reflect on what that means? Well, I think the most important thing for people to think about is how much service and sacrifice goes into protecting the Constitution and the, the American way of life literally every day around the world. There are service members that are dedicated to serving this country and putting their life limbs and eyesight on the line every day for guys like you and I to maintain our freedoms and our way of life. And I think that as we reflect and we look at uh, the last 20 years, there's been an incredible sacrifice by the men and the women of the United States to protect and serve this country. We owe them an incredible amount of debt. And today is a day that we reflect on that debt. And hopefully it's a reminder for all of us to do a little bit better at giving back to the community or the veteran community. In 2020, your company, Black Rifle, donated $770,000 in coffee and cash to veterans. Uh, what are some of the programs, some of the ways that you've been, been helping out? And, and what has that done for veterans that Black Rifle has been assisting? Well, the, the coffee is just a, it, for me, it's something that I really like to do for the deployed service members around the globe, especially those that are in combat zones. Uh, we've been sending out pallets of coffee every year that I've had this, this company to guys that have been deployed into Iraq, Afghanistan, Yemen, Libya, you name it. I still have a lot of, a lot of friends that are in the special operations and the intelligence community. We ship tens of thousands of pounds over of coffee overseas. Uh, it was one of those things that I truly loved when I was when I was in Iraq or Afghanistan. I loved having a great fresh cup of coffee. It's one of the genesis or part of the genesis story to the company. So it's it's been my privilege to be able to send pallets of coffee to deployed service members. The secondary portion to that is, you know, when when guys come home and they need to transition into uh, a different profession, uh, or they've transitioned out of the military because they've they've been forced out based on a physical injury, which is probably the most important aspect of that. We have to give uh, we have to give back to a combination of charities and, and initiatives that directly give them access and mobility to the things that will create value in their lives. So one of the things that we've been trying to do is 
put on uh, adaptive athlete events where we can bring in service members that have been injured in the line of duty. And we can host events like archery events specifically where we can donate money, get people together to have a good time, teach them a new skill maybe that they haven't had before, and then go to work on inspiring other companies to do the same thing. It doesn't have to be archery related. It could be a combination of things that are related. We just so happen to like to shoot projectiles over here at Black Rifle Coffee. And um, we've been really dedicated to seeing how much money we can give back to the guys that have been physically injured, both physically and psychologically injured on quite literally hundreds of different nonprofits. And then last year we started also giving back $5,000 a week to veteran uh, businesses that might have needed a little a little additional help because of the COVID related restrictions that might have impacted their business. So it's a second and it's a second and third order effects of both taking care of the people that are transitioning back to the United States, getting them into a, a professional work environment that understands where they are, which is I think Black Rifle Coffee, making sure that that the guys that have been physically and psychologically affected by the wars that we can donate and give back to multiple charities related to that. Then also host events uh, where people can come out and interact with each other and both civilians and veterans to create a social environment where people can have a better understanding as to what the men and women that have served this country have gone gone through. Evan, your company, uh, Black Rifle, is one that a lot of veterans I know out there point to now and see as, as one of the tremendous entrepreneurial successes from within the veteran community. How'd you do it? Did a lot of veterans come together to, to help in this process of, of building uh, what is now a, you know, a, a now massive and, and public company? Uh, how'd this all come together? Uh, well, it, it came together with a group of friends. So uh, myself, Jared Taylor, and Matt Best, I was the coffee guy. I've been roasting coffee for uh, about 10 years before we started this. I had a passion for it. And they had a co- they had a other company that I helped roast coffee for initially. When I started it, it was to you know, pay respect to my service rifle. My service rifle was sitting right next to my one pound coffee roaster as I was teaching advanced tactics, uh, pistol carbine for the CIA at that point. And there was a coffee roaster there. There was a black rifle there. And I put those two things together. I knew that it was going to be controversial to some degree, or at least for some that think that our Second Amendment right is controversial. I personally don't, but I also wanted to pay respect to the thing that protect my way of life and protect my life for over two decades. So we brought those veterans together. And then from there, we've been able to hire hundreds of veterans through Black Rifle to create a really unique, uh, I think the most authentic American business story, uh, at least of modern history, with a 50 plus percent veteran hiring rate in a culture that is completely geared and mission oriented about giving back to the veteran community. Uh, It's been a lot of hard work, but that's something that I think the veteran community has never shied away from. We're, we're adamant about mission focus, mission success. Uh, we're goal oriented. We're really, we excel at split decision-making, complex problem solving. We've been doing it in really complex environments for over two decades now. The modern service member is one of the most dedicated mission-driven in, individuals on the planet. So succeeding in business has not been an individual endeavor, at least for me, it's taken a team, just like any good team, uh, you need a wide variety of opinions with great talent, and a lot of that has been veteran talent. 
Evan, congrats on all your success, and please give our regards and thanks to all the many veterans who work at Black Rifle Coffee, and thanks for providing us here with delicious coffee. We appreciate it, man. Good to see you. Hey, great to see you too, Buck. Uh, love the show. Keep up the good work, buddy. Thanks, buddy. You too. Talk to you. Former President Donald Trump released a message to the troops on Veterans Day. We'll bring that to you coming up in quick hits. But first, you ever wanted to invest in real estate, but how are you going to get started, right? You don't want to make big mistakes. It can be kind of rough out there. Well, that's why I linked up with my friends at Done For Your Real Estate. They took all the guesswork out of it for me. They found me an awesome property. They rented it out for me right away. They managed the tenant for me. Now I get a check every month like clockwork. Don't wait another second to see if my buddies at Done For Your Real Estate can do for you what they did for me. Visit doneforyoubuck.com to see how it works. Again, every step of the process, picking the city, the house, getting the loan set up, getting a tenant in place, and a management company to handle the whole thing for you. Just go to doneforyoubuck.com to see what my friends can do for you. Again, that's doneforyoubuck.com to begin your real estate investment journey. We'll be right back with Quick Hits. California Governor Gavin Newsom finally acknowledges what anyone with a brain has known for well over a year now. And Joe Biden said, uh, what did Joe Biden say today? It is time for quick hits. Let's start with the governor of California just before we, we dive into the latest from him. People were wondering, where has this guy been for a while? He kind of was MIA for a bit there. And he has been a smarmy Fauciite from the very beginning. You know, if we mask up, if we're good little boys and girls and do whatever Fauci says, we will control the virus and everything will be oh so much better. But if we don't do the things that they say, then we suffer because we're naughty and the virus is going to come after all of us. This, of course, is absurd, but it is a belief that many Democrats, particularly powerful Democrats who run states or in elected office uh, in one capacity or another, still cling to. It's a superstition, but it's one that's very hard for them to shake. Uh, here's the problem. Right now, you have California with a pretty high vaccination rate compared to other states, and certainly has all kinds of restrictions in place. And yet California is experiencing a surge in cases right now. How could that be? Why is that happening? Here's the governor of California giving you at least part of the explanation. This is hard for me to say because it makes you even more unpopular than I am in many camps. <laughs> uh, Last year at this time, we all were bemused and confused when we saw a few states starting to see an increase in COVID. It's as if we learned nothing in the last year, the coverage of Colorado. It's somewhat inexplicable, they say. We really don't know why they're seeing an increase in Vermont and New Hampshire, why the Northeast is experiencing an increase. California is now experiencing an increase. Well, we know why. There's a seasonality to COVID. It's not particularly difficult after a couple of years to understand. You see those trends in Europe. You see those trends extend in other parts of the globe. Unfortunately, that's what's happening here in your state. Wait, but was it seasonality in Florida when the entire media, and I'm sure Gavin Newsom cheering them along, we're telling everybody that Florida's bad COVID policies were the reason for the surge there. Oh, it's only seasonality when it's affecting blue states that have the most extreme restrictions of any state in the country. Then it's a seasonal issue. It's not that the stuff they make people do does not work, right? 
Can't be that. Can't be that. Uh, and then there's Joe Biden today. It's Veterans Day, and Biden, because he is the commander in chief, was out giving a speech. And I'm, look, we've known Joe Biden for a long time in American politics, and it has been clear for quite some time that he is not only a gaffe machine, but on top of that, he is deteriorating, and it's not clear that he's clear a lot of the time. So, with all of that, I would just say you should prepare yourself to hear what Joe Biden, listening closely, hear what he said today during a speech about Satchel Page at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Thank you for your service to our country. And I just want to tell you, I know you're a little younger than I am, but, uh, you know, I've adopted the attitude of the great Negro at the time, pitcher in the Negro Leagues, went on to become a great pitcher in the pros into the Major League Baseball after Jackie Robinson. His name was Satchel Paige. You hear, you hear that? And now they're telling you that he didn't say what he said because, you know, that's the kind of thing where if a Republican said that, ooh, there'd be a whole lot of problems, right? But he said it. You heard it. Now the media is trying to convince you it's actually not what he said. Um, so, yeah, just going to put that out there. They can only cover for Joe Biden so much for so long before enough people will figure out this guy is completely inept and not up for the job at all that this whole thing falls apart. There is a time limit on this. I can't tell you exactly how long it will be, but eventually they will get to a place where they can no longer run cover for Biden's absurdity. Um, the Lincoln Project, speaking of absurdity, full of people with no decency, character, or worthwhile anything to add to the political conversation in general, it's a bunch of former uh, nominal GOP hatchet men who now just do the bidding of Democrats for the coins that are thrown at their feet. Pretty gross. But Lincoln Project co-founder and stunning moron on television, Steve Schmidt, is willing to say that the stunt where they had the people pretending to be you know, tiki torch morons at a Glenn Youngkin event and was actually Democrat activists, that that probably wasn't a good look, that whole false flag thing they did. I thought the action was recklessly stupid. It was dishonest and cheap. Um, it is exactly the wrong way to, to approach the fight against a real fascist movement, against extremist elements. Um, it showed appalling judgment. A real fascist, Glenn Youngkin, the former CEO of the Carlisle Group and, you know, nice next door basketball and, you know, softball coaching dad kind of guy. He, he's the fascist. The Lincoln Project, honestly, just disgraceful, top to bottom. And then there's CNN, also disgraceful. They start out well, then they get a little problem here. We thank soldiers for their service. This was an op-ed today on CNN. Because they devote themselves to protecting our freedoms, and we should. Yes, that part of it's correct. But we should also thank the media for the same reason, especially when the stakes have never been higher. Yeah, that's right. Journos, just like members of special operations, just like our 
soldiers and marines and airmen and and uh you know and, and navy yeah sure sure sailors um journos are just as brave just as brave you know sometimes the cappuccino machine stops working and then what are you going to do that's everything i told the line the no spin news with bill o'reilly's up next shields high